Hello, Dimitrios. What was your first computer? My first computer was uh, an Amstrad CPC 484. Um, and, you know, all my friends had Spectrums and Commodores at the time. Uh, and especially the Commodores had better games. Uh, but the good thing about it was that uh, because there were not good games on the Amstrad, I, I learned basic. I learned basic and uh, a little bit of assembly code, more or less. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I had both because I had an Amstrad, which was uh, ZX Spectrum as well. I think Amstrad bought ZX Spectrum. In At some point. Uh, yeah. yeah well. Yeah, well, it was a very nice computer, very nice, I remember, yeah. Yeah, and what what was your first, you know, Hello World with BASIC? So what you wrote? So there was no Hello World, I suppose, so what was your first yeah. running program? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure everyone did the same. So the first one was probably 10 print Dimitris, 20 go to 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and and the next and the reasonable one. So you do manage to implement a game or something like this. Um, I think my first, let's say, more real one was uh, I wrote some sort of uh, loader for games, and the loader, when when it start loading, it would print on the screen. Um, Jimmy Soft. Well, Jimmy, it's a, like a, one way to say Dimitris as well in English. Okay. And it will print out on the screen and put down a, a lightning and make a sound like, you know, like an explosion. <laughs> and then the game would load. Cool. And I would go show this to my friends, more or less. And they were impressed? Yeah, very much. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Well. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Um, and uh, you stick with BASIC, how long? Or what was your f next language? I, I, I suppose assembly, right? Um, I did a bit of assembly. And then when then I went to study computers like sometime later. Uh, and then we, we, I went through all the languages of the time. So I did BASIC, Fortran, Pascal, uh, DBase, uh, Prolog, Quick BASIC, you know, the whole lot. Yeah, so a bit of everything. Okay, and uh, so what was your first reasonable program in, in in another language? So after BASIC, you did what? Pascal? Uh, I did Pascal. Uh, my my favorite language back then was C. Uh, oh, really? And uh, I loved C because it was, you know, the language itself was very small. Like the book of Kerningham Ritzy was like, I don't know. 50 pages 100 pages um so you know you you had you felt you had full control of the language you you knew the language completely mm -hmm. whereas uh, later in my career when i did c++ and uh, and i did c++ for for quite some time for four or five years uh you never felt like you know you really know the language completely you know it was very complex the standard library. Uh, it was a very complex language, very powerful, but complex. So I, I loved C back then, yeah. Uh, but you still did uh, the C on CPC Amstrad or was it a different machine? No, no, no. C, I did it on the, on a, you know, uh, like IBM compatible computer, a 
it was a 286. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So it's interesting. So I had a 8086 and then nothing, and then I jumped to Pentium. So uh, it was interesting. So I sk <laughs> skipped, you know, all the two, three, four, and then the next reasonable computer was Pentium. And and mm -hmm. where was it? Uh, was it in Switzerland or where you started hacking, you know? And uh... no, no, that was all in Greece. Ah, okay. So I, I, I grew up in Greece in Athens. Uh, yeah. So I went to university there uh -huh. um, and then I went to Ireland I, I did a let's say masters um, and I worked in a group that was doing mostly network uh -huh. uh, programming uh, and it was great it was a great experience because we did um, um, I don't know if you remember you remember ISO the ISO stack yeah, um, this is the, the layer, right? The the uh, the yes. network layer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the work, mm -hmm. there was an implementation called ISO DE, ISO Development Environment, mm -hmm. that implemented like the specs, the full specs for the layers above, uh, you know, TCP/IP. It, w it was very very complex. It was very complex, and uh, and I had to do some sort of gateways to map protocols on top of this huge stack to more reasonable protocols on top of TCP IP. So um, it was something called ISO SR search and retrieve protocols to search for uh, bibliographic data. And that was mapped to Z39.50, um, which was the same thing on layered on TCP IP. And, uh, the cool thing was it was a lot of, you know, network programming. So things that now we see, like uh, we call it, you know, reactive. Well, we we were doing reactive back in 1994 <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, with different tools, of course, and different constructs. But all the, you know, the things were the same. And what, what was very, very interesting was... Uh, Back then, I worked on a European project together with some Danish guys. Um, and it was the first time I saw beautiful code, beautiful code written in C, because most, most code was like real spaghetti, mm -hmm. PC++. But when those guys came into the project, I saw a different universe. Uh, one of the guys was a dropout, a university dropout, who had written back then one of the most popular adventure games on the internet, you know, text-based, mm -hmm. you know, enter a cave, look right, look left. No, it was one of those guys. And, uh, was it Rogue? I don't remember the name. I don't remember which one, but I remember there were like two, three popular ones, and he was one of them. Mm -hmm. And you could see, you know, code that... Later on, there was this language, Objective-C, developed, mm -hmm. and it looked very, the constructs were very similar to the ones we were using. And just to give you an example, at some point, we had to process bibliographic uh, data, lots of them. So... Uh, sorry, I'm what is bibliographic data? Are, are, is it uh, like books or, I don't know? Uh... Yeah, yeah, you go to a library, uh -huh. and the way to um, record 
in a standard way the books. So there, were, there used to be some standard, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had to implement this standard and and process uh, records with this standard and do various things on them. And because there were lots and it w it, the processing would change, we thought, oh, you know, let's write a language, a DSL for processing bibliographic data. And and with those guys, it was like a no-brainer. Yeah, sure, we, we will write a <laughs> language to, to do this. <laughs> Rather than do it manually in code, we will write a language to do this kind of processing. Um, so with those guys, you know, a whole lot of opportunities opened up with what you can do with programming, um, using standards, using open source. Everything we did was open source back then. And on top of that, uh, they developed a business model around this. So they had, you know, what we produced in this project uh, was offered in a dual license, a GPL, and then you had to, you know, pay to get a proprietary license. So that was an open source business model back in 1994. Um, the company is still there 25 years later. Uh, and it kind of gave me an, an initial idea of power of programming, open source and standards, you know, that I later came to to see with JBoss more or less. And, and, so that was and hopefully <laughs> passion as well, as well right? Yeah, yeah, de de definitely. You know, we I, we had such a good time. You know, the two years I worked with those guys, mm -hmm. um, I just I, I loved it. And uh, yeah, and then which which um, which year was it? Ninety Wow. Okay. And and the company is still around. It's still around. You can look it up. It's called indexdata.dk. Index indexdata.dk. Interesting. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. uh, there are small consultancy like small now there are 20 people or something but they still continue on that model so they're super experts in what uh, what relates to libraries automating libraries uh, uh, and they're, they're very good and they keep they're having have fun after all those years uh, writing C C++ I think a little bit of uh, Perl yeah yeah basic stuff but uh, very very powerful okay cool. yeah so, yeah, so after that, I think I went, well, I went to the Navy. <laughs> we, we, you had to serve in Greece, and then I worked for telecoms. And, and you enjoyed your time at Navy, or was it? In the Navy, well, <laughs> it, the, there's an initial period which is fun, because you learn some stuff, you shoot with cannons, and you work on radars, and... But the second part was very boring, although they took me to help uh, in an IT facility. Mm -hmm. And in this one, they had a very old bull mainframe. Very old, yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, and the people operating it, most of them, they were like clueless. clueless <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, this is fun, you know, they, they used us. We knew more than them, but anyway. So there was a guy, and his job was to essentially um, write a query mm -hmm. in COBOL. Mm -hmm. They have asked him, for example, you know, tell me how many boots are there in this facility. 
and he would write a program. There was no query language. He had to code it in COBOL. And he would give it to us, and we would run it overnight and print like one and a half meter of paper, A3 mm -hmm. paper. And then the guy would come the next day, look at the top of the stack, and go like, oh, oh damn, you know, I made a mistake. <laughs> Do it again now. <laughs> we were just, you know, pushing paper left and right. You know, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. Anyway, it was fun. And I also got to see one uh, uh, PDP-11 uh -huh. um, that was used as a simulator for some naval training uh, I just, you know, I got to access this machine for, for a week or something. So, yeah, anyway, interesting experience. Not the best way to spend your time, but, uh, you know, it, it's obligatory. It's obligatory. So, uh, in Germany, it was similar. It was like uh, the first three months, it was more action. It was uh, called like the, you know, how is it called? Base, uh, training. base, base yeah. training. And after the three months, it was, you know, completely boring, usually. So there are nothing mm -hmm. happened. So this was a, seems like European model, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And 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 then then I went. I worked on telecoms, um, and it was a very big project that we had to write code in in C plus plus and Java. And, and what I did there was um, I instead of writing like solving the problem. I started to create the tools to solve the problem. So essentially, I developed a, a sort of an application server in C++. So it had like configuration, naming, threading, security, messaging, macro language to help you define manage objects. And so instead of solving like my own part of the problem, I developed the infrastructure for a team of whatever, 20 people to develop on my application server in C++ and Corba. So uh, so then when I tried to... And what the was the concept? Like someone would develop, you know, like uh, it was like more like more or less like EJBs or similar or like serverless, something like that. So you wrote a class and this class would be called by your server? Right. It, it was like I offered you the base EJB functionality. Mm-hmm. And you wrote your EJBs, and, and immediately you got connected with the rest of the framework, and you got all those facilities for free that I mentioned. Okay. Configuration, name, yeah. And you had to. Of course, it, uh, you provided yeah. the source code, and it was compiled, or was somehow linked to your server. Right. Yeah. So basically, you wrote in C plus plus. You had to inherit some of my classes and do some macros, and everything else would, would work. Would magically work. You became part of the framework. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to do the same in Java. Uh, why? Next so this is the question: Why? why? How you bump to Java? So what is your first? You know, uh, when you saw why? the first time Java? <laughs> yeah. So why? When you f first saw Java? When was it? And what was your opinion about that? This is the most right. interesting part. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine that was in '98, right? Okay. And in this project, we used C++ for the server and Java for the user interfaces for the clients that okay. would visualize those, you know, this system. Um, yeah, so I, back then, I, I was not doing Java. I was doing the server side. Mm -hmm. For the next project, we had to build a service provisioning platform 
And at that point, I was sure, you know, I want to do it in Java um, because it was, I felt it would be good enough performance-wise, and I wanted to learn Java as well. <laughs> and I saw that there was a lot of stuff in Java already there okay. compared to C++. So mm -hmm. I thought there would be some reusability, mm -hmm. some libraries I could use. Uh, that's why I started with it. And immediately I wanted to transfer this container in the Java world. So I started looking, you know, what, what can I use? And I came across this technology called uh, JMX. I'm sure wow. you know about it. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing was, I didn't know anything about JMX. JMX was at the beginning. And I found it very interesting that a very large part of the code I wrote looked so much like JMX. We, we even used the same, let's say, function names. I didn't know about JMX, right? Cool. <laughs> so it's funny how you come to the same conclusion from a different direction, right? So uh, one question, uh, uh, you yeah. like Java? So if you moved, you know, from C++ to Java immediately, so you like the mm -hmm. Java experience or not that much? Uh, initially, it felt a little bit constrained and weird and yeah. probably too verbose. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't like that you didn't have multiple inheritance, mm -hmm. um, no control of the memory model. So some things I liked, some I didn't. Yeah. What, what, what I, I also moved from C++ to Java, and what I what I really wanted to have is you now this include H, this, this, uh, the, the header files. Mm -hmm. I, I always search in Java for the header files, like how they are implemented. <laughs> Without the header files, I mean, what are the header files? I was completely confused. So this was my experience with, with Java. <laughs> I, I think we must be around the same age, right? I'm born in seventy-one. Yeah, uh, I'm seventy-four. So okay, All right. similar. <laughs> All right. So look, so JMX, um, and then I'm trying to see, like, who's using JMX, right? Just out of curiosity, and I came across this project called. JBoss, which was using JMX, and JBoss back then essentially had the same idea I had in my own project, which is to use a essentially an agent uh, technology as the core for a framework. And why do that? Because that would give you um, a pluggability layer. And immediately, what you do is manageable mm -hmm. by definition, right? And I, w I realized that the guys had the same idea. There was a guy called Richard Oberg. Exactly. Was like was a genius. Um, what he's doing right now, you know this? I, I, I think he's somewhere in um, uh, Asia. Okay. And he's doing... Uh, he has a company to develop software for. Uh... Well, anyway, I met him in the summer at JCrit, so okay. <laughs> I'll ask him again. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so so JBoss essentially took this idea of a dynamic kernel plus all the dynamic proxy functionality to give you this unique experience where, you know, you put a your EJBs and the, the deploy directory and everything was generated at runtime without pre-compilation steps with you know nothing. 
even all the Corba stuff, everything was fully, fully dynamic. And when I saw this, I, I got hooked up, you know, I said, I thought those guys are geniuses. So, so essentially, I took the, the early Jabos kernel, Jabos 2. Mm -hmm. But this was uh, later, right? Because uh, the G dynamic stuff came with JDK 1.3. Yeah. And I think uh, Jabos started before that, right? Jabos started before that. And they rewrote everything, as I remember. There was yeah. a. How, what was the Special Forces guy? Um, you Mark know, Fleury. Yeah, Mark Fleury started mm -hmm. Jabos because uh, he, he left uh, or tried, you know, to apply for at uh, BA. And then he said, okay, then I start my own server. And then I think it was rewrote, rewritten by the... Um, by the yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With JMX. Uh -huh. And that was version 2. That was version 2 to around the year 2001. Um, yeah. So... You started so with yeah, version 2, right? So you saw... The I started with version 2, but to, to essentially take it, remove the things I, I didn't need, mm -hmm. add my own stuff and use it as the platform for my other projects. And and what was the name of your project? Uh, op, um, <laughs> well, initially we called it Junction, but then it was renamed to Action Streamer. It's, Action it's Streamer? It's still there. It's still there. It's used to uh, activate services on, in telecom networks. Oh, interesting. Action Streamer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so the, the end result was that Okay, we're doing we're doing action streamer, but slowly the JBoss, let's say volunteer work, became more interesting than my day job. Mm -hmm. So uh, we contributed some subsystems. We did the first uh, SNMP agent in JBoss. And your and your and your day job was telecom, right? Telecom, yes. Yeah. Telecom. Okay. Uh, and. Um, and at some point, it just you know, I was, I was going home and, home and I was writing code for JBoss. And then uh, when they got funding, they were able to hire you know the more active developers, and they made me an offer in 2004. And I went to work for them as core developer. So I worked there. <laughs> the, after after the fact, I found out that the reason they hired me was uh, I was very strong uh, with Corba. And they were trying to certify JBoss 4 for, um, uh, you know, Java EU compliance, mm -hmm. J2E. Mm -hmm. And they were very much stuck at the end of the certification. You know, the end is the more difficult bit because there was this functionality called CSIV2, which is really to allow calls between different application servers. So let's say an EJB in JBoss calls an EJB in WebSphere, right? Oh, okay. And you have to, to transfer transaction and security context between them. And the only way to do it is through over Corba, essentially. Uh, and, you know, a, a whole functionality was missing. So it, I went there and implemented this, and we managed to complete the certification, get the certification stamp. JBoss 4 was the first certified server, essentially. And, yeah, then at some point I became... A, Project lead, JBoss 4, JBoss 5. And, and traditionally, every, every few years, we, we change project leads to bring you know, fresh ideas into the server. Uh, Jason Green took over the lead, and I became manager of, okay. of the team. And I, I helped deliver the first product as Red Hat, so JBoss EAP. 
4.2 was the first, you know, like product uh, of the application server in Red Hat. And up to recently, we went through all those phases, you know, refactoring, wild flying, um, and then EP 7.2 was my last uh, release. Mm-hmm. And and now I'm uh, I more or less left uh, the the EP team together with Jason and some other guys and we're doing now Quarkus mm-hmm. um, and I'm also overseeing the the Vertex team through Rodney uh, Russ another guy and the Thorntail project so what we call let's say cloud native runtime frameworks more or less. Yeah, okay. This is an actually interesting journey. One question uh, regarding the Corba. As I remember, the uh, Jabos used Jack Orb back then, right? This is the Corba mm-hmm. or- Orb, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and you helped that to integrate no. this, or? Um, when I when I joined, it was already integrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, although in my, for my own projects, I did all other integrations as well. So uh, I was also using OpenOrb with JBoss and JackWorb. Um, I extended the integration to allow this type of uh, interop between different application servers. And well, the way Corba was used in JBoss was brilliant, brilliant, because all the Corba objects were also dynamically dynamically generated when you deployed something, which was you know never done in the industry before. So then there's a paper on that on the internet. There was a Brazilian professor, Francisco Reverbel, uh, who wrote this, mm-hmm. uh, and you can find it on the net. It's uh, you know it's just you know internal details that for most of people you know mean nothing, but for me it was you know it was. Just great technology. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, send me please the, the the link. I will put it to show notes about the paper. Oh, um, <laughs> my opinion about Corba is uh, I use also Corba a lot, and uh, of course it was a little bit you know chatty. So you had to mm-hmm. to, to first to get the reference to the I think it was called naming service, and then provide some mm-hmm. lookup, and then there was portable object think portable object narrow so you had to narrow or cast the object because uh, Corba was multi-language but uh, mm-hmm. after you know the three lines of code it was just remote procedure call I mean there was like it just worked and uh, what mm-hmm. I always wondered myself is why they don't modernize you know the bootstrap so I, I would say you could just you know hide everything behind I uh, let's say an object and just make it injectable because then this would be uh, a, a, a nice replacement of uh, gRPC and uh, Apache Thrift. I mean, whatever was invented after Corba was exactly mm-hmm. the same idea as like Corba. So I always wondered myself, why are they just reinventing things and not modernize a little bit the API? You had the same thoughts yeah. or what was, why is that? Because if you take well, a look at gRPC or Thrift, they have uh, the same story, you know. They have the IDL. They generated the stops and skeletons, so I, I don't. I really don't see the difference. Yeah, well, I think it's stupid, um, to be honest. Uh, I, I loved Corba, uh, and especially the the binary network format. I think was very efficient. 
And I think we took steps back when we moved away from this. The programming model was not like the best, but you have to consider that it had to work in different languages. Exactly. Just, yeah. Uh, now, what happened with Corba really is like EJBs. You know, when EJBs came, they became ubiquitous, and that was the end of it. Like, you know, Corba was only used for cases where you had to to interrupt with different languages, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, I don't. You know, if you've been long enough, you see this happening over and over again. You know, we discovered technology, we rediscovered it in a different format. I remember back then, you know, uh, the early application servers had the, the servlet and the EJB layer separate, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. And then JBoss came and said, oh, look, this is stupid. You put in the same VM and it's 100 times faster. Yeah. And then we got microservices, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's split again and it's a lot slower. Yeah. many projects that don't really need microservices, but because it's hype, everyone wants to do it. So <laughs> yeah, going back and forth. And, and the cool story is uh, last week I had a uh, I had actual discussion about microservices, and they told me what we really would like to have, you know, have two microservices talking to each other, which are completely type safe. So they generated stubs and skeletons with uh, for REST and JSON. So I then asked them, so why are you not using SOAP then? I mean, SOAP did it for years, and uh, if you don't care about the protocol, you, I mean, and the, the next question is, if this is type safe, if you change the server, you will also have to change the client. So why you have microservices at all? Just put everything to one JVM. And they looked at me and said, actually, this is a good idea. We actually probably don't need microservices in this project. So yeah, probably not. <laughs> this is like... Uh, really, it is really, really strange because uh, it's like uh, developers have the internal need right now, you know, to just create microservices to create microservices. And it was exactly the same back then. So what I remember is uh, EGB containers and web containers had to be split to increase scalability. I say, look, why exactly you are in increasing scalability? Because, you know, EGBs uh, do usually nothing and uh, mm -hmm. servlets do nothing and the database do everything. So the more you know you scale in the front end, the, the more trouble you get you know, in the back end. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But what we could do right now, back to IOP, um, it would be technically possible you know, to make, let's say, a simple Java interface injectable. This interface, we can just generate, you know, let, let's say CDI. So we can int mm -hmm. create an interceptor we generates on the fly the IOP protocol and talks Corba to other services, right? This would actually this this should be possible. Well, you you could do it. It's just that, uh, just saying the the word Corba turns off many people, so <laughs> you have a hard time find followers. Yeah. Yeah. But this is this is marketing problem, but uh, I mean the the IOP protocol is efficient and there are already bindings in different languages. So, uh, in my, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah well. <laughs> we could rename it, you know, to yeah. uh, like Nano Protocol or whatever. So, sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, so Quarkus now. Quarkus is the thing. Um, Quarkus. You said Quarkus. What what yes. what striked me is the following: at the beginning, Whitefly tried to do everything at runtime. And what Quarkus yeah. tried to achieve is to do everything at build time, right? Yeah, it's it's the exact opposite. Exact That's opposite. Very much, yeah, yeah. 
which well it depends on the use case the use case here is to minimize the outcome yes so we want smaller executables less memory um you know faster mm -hmm. so, so that's the way to do it really yeah. now question uh how you heard about quarkus or have you initiated the quarkus project so how how it started so i mean yeah yeah how was it um well i'll give you the my my own view right so mm -hmm. so in in wildfly eap every few years we look at the next generation and we had lots of discussions what next generation wildfly might look like uh, whether it will be the same different architecture compatible or not um, and we were doing this in conjunction with the uh, wildfly swarm and thorntail team and and we had discussions they were the guys wanted to go the thorntail before direction we thought we could go another direction and then we had the meeting together and we thought you know let's let's try to work together and see if we can come up with a unified architecture and so that was mostly between um, Jason Green and uh, and Bob McWhirter and then Manuel also came independently from another direction saying yeah oh, yeah maybe it's a good idea to have a, you know one runtime for everything uh, so all the guys came together, which is not very common in Red Hat, you know, in Red Hat normally every team, you know, did, did their own thing. So for once we said, okay, let's, let's try to prototype something that could act as a, you know, as one base runtime for everything and see how far we can get with that. Um, and that was a prototyping effort, like three, four months. That went on. Um, we set some goals, uh, and of course, we looked at different technologies. Uh, and like the one technology that looked very interesting was uh, the substrate VM, uh, because substrate was very strong at producing optimized um, native you know, code. So we, the team more or less looked at, you know, how best to enable substrate. And they came up with this architecture that really moves as much as possible at build time. So as to produce the most optimized artifacts for substrate to kick in and do its job. Um, and at that point, you know, when we saw that, you know, we could do hibernate. And hibernate is like the, one of the most difficult cases. Very dynamic, um, you know, very hard framework. So when hibernate worked, then we, we felt good and uh, the, the team felt that, you know, now we can do anything, basically. Mm -hmm. And then the, the project really kicked off and it was actually it was supposed to be a secret project in Red Hat um, for some time and then the team grew um, I came in as like 
engineering manager of the team um, and then yeah we made it public in March mm -hmm. so something like that so really I think Quark was was the collective uh, result of of some of our key people thinking on the problem for some time we had the different efforts uh, before Quarkus as well to come up with a very you know slim runtime and things like that but it was the first time that you know many people came together um, and it was an interdisciplinary effort so we had people from you know kernel design performance hibernates uh, wildfly thorntail you know vertex collaborating and we got uh, this this beautiful result i think i think it's really beautiful and if you look at how we do it internally mm -hmm. uh, it's quite different from anything else that was out there um, yeah some people thought oh you know you copied micronet but it's not true it's like it's a very different architecture um, when the, the effort started, w when was the you know, initial meeting with Jason Green, you and Bob? I think that was in spring, the year before. Not bad. So it was actually pretty fast. No, it was pretty fast. Yeah, it was, it was pretty fast. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, everyone from Red Hat told me, we are working on something and you would like it. I was like, okay, I heard it so many <laughs> times before, I don't believe it. And uh, yeah. I don't know whether you know, but uh, I got uh, a lot of questions about the Thorntail and Whitefly Swarm. And I look at mm -hmm. that and I say, okay, it's a little bit more efficient than Whitefly, but it's really not worth you know, the effort. And what I really don't, didn't like at all was the whole uh, branding, like, you know, right size your services or whatever. It's like, why? I never had an issue, you know, with the size. I mean, Whitefly is just mm -hmm. small enough. And then I look at yeah. the Quarkus, and what I really like at Quarkus, it is uh, it is more like the Java E, you know, deployment mm -hmm. model, and everything with Java. What I like about Java E pushed even further. So it's not it, and and in in very consequent way, and uh, it makes everything even leaner, which makes absolute sense. And the uh, and you know the uh, the almost collateral outcome is. It is everything is smaller. So um, mm -hmm. to give you an example, what I really like is, for instance, the idea is genius. I'm I really interested who came up with the idea, but you know the deployment of a war to application server um, mm -hmm. doesn't make a lot of sense because it doesn't have to be dynamic. This is what you found out, right? If you deploy a war, the application server mm -hmm. have you know to scan a folder, have to parse the XML files and generate proxies or whatever. And what uh, Quarkus does, does the same, but it does it at build time. And therefore, right. you can remove from the server the whole deployment you know, machinery and the parsing machinery and make the server thinner. And mm -hmm. now what's really great, I get the deployment errors at build time. So for me as developer, there is even you know, a, a added value. So I don't have to wait until deployment time. I see you know the errors at build time. Which is a mm -hmm. which is win-win situation. So it was actually never before. So this is yeah. why I really like at Quarkus. It's like you know, it's not like trying to introduce you know different runtime because Java is no more fashionable. It's more like you know, can we go even further and make it even more efficient? And this is what I really like. The very first time 
a framework which I see this is really interesting. Yeah. Well, it's even more important if you say this, right? <laughs> we totally respect your, you know, the way you approach things. Uh, and uh, like two comments there. Um, one comment is uh, Quark, who's in in one sense looks very much like you know Java e microprofile, right? Mm-hmm. So a, a standard microprofile app would probably run without any changes. Um, so that's very familiar. You can have code that has zero imports, like of our own frameworks, for mm-hmm. example. Um, so that I think that's the power of, of standards. And then <laughs> the interesting thing was that, you know, al- although this effort started to trying to optimize Java for native, the let's say unexpected outcome was that we improved very much Java for standard hotspots. Because exactly, we do all this work at build time and we come up with what would be essentially, you know, what what's the sequence to start up your objects and wire them together? Mm-hmm. This is the starting point. Uh, and this makes the code very fast, very lean, very uh, less memory hungry on standard hotspots. <laughs> so, you know, you would expect your normal Java app on Hotspot to be like taking half of the space in memory mm-hmm. and booting like one one fifth so of the time. And and we talk about speed, you know, boot speed, memory size, but there's also a big improvement at runtime. Uh, there was a blog entry like two days ago, if you go on the Quarku site, um, we published some benchmarks that show how much we have took, um, you know, we carefully tuned the stack to perform at the runtime. So you will actually see a runtime uh, improvement, performance improvement, both in uh, native mode and hotspot mode. So, yeah. so it's a win-win. <laughs> What's also interesting in Quarkus, um, it was in, uh, actually a funny story. So um, I think two years ago, I recorded an online course. It was uh, about testing Java. And what I also did, I, uh, I, I um, explained how to stress test or load test applications and how to measure the performance. And um, I said, okay, what, what use case can I take? And what I did, I compared the performance of CDI and EJBs. And EJBs were 20% faster because uh, they were pulled and the dependency injection happened only once. And someone from IBM took this, uh, Sam Olisov is his name, and created a GitHub and GitHub a project and make it more formal. And also uh, said, okay, this is really true. EGBs are faster. And uh, on Quarkus, it is no more the case. So this is the interesting part. So uh, of course, there are no EGBs at Quarkus, but uh, uh, what happens on Quarkus is the dependency injection uh, happens at code generation at build time so at runtime, mm-hmm. there is no overhead. So I think even this was solved, you know, accidentally by a Quarkus. So uh, we could just go, you know, with a request scope or whatever. And, and this is not like we use dynamic proxy, which gets injected over and over again, rather than the code is already there. And uh, there will be probably, if we had EJBs on Quarkus, uh, I think there would be, you know, uh, the performance would be very, very similar to, uh, mm-hmm. to CDI. Right. Yeah. No. You're. You're right. Yeah. All those are results of this build time optimization. 
Um, and who came up with the idea to do everything at build time? This is interesting, actually. It was. Well, I don't. I, I cannot tell. I can. I or, or was it the? Or was it obvious that you have uh, that you all have to do everything at build time, or just were no accidental idea? This is what's more interesting. Um, was it clear to all of you? Uh, again, for example, I'll tell you. Like in Wildfly, we had ideas to to do stuff at at build time, essentially, like pre-compute the deployment model or um, get... Okay, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. You I had the idea, ideas before. I have to admit, as if I saw it, I, have, I say, this is genius, and I, I completely overlooked that, you know? I completely mm -hmm. overlooked the possibility that the server, the deployment could, ev could happen at, at build time. So I never saw this. This was actually, for me, it was striking. <laughs> <laughs> this was actually a cool experience. And uh, what I also like is the, uh, how to call it, the build time extension model. So I created mm -hmm. an, an extension for Whitefly just for fun. And they were like mm -hmm. the build steps. And to create a simple extensions, you only have to expose the classes you are using. And then they are taken. So it, at least it worked for me. And uh, you could also communicate between extensions. So you can say, my extension needs the another extension. And But this is very, I would say, you know, no XML configuration or uh, there is just, you know, annotation-based programming model for extensions. Mm -hmm. No. I think the extension model is quite nice. We can make it a little bit more user-friendly. Mm -hmm. um, and it will really be, I think, a key for the next step of Quarkus. So basically to to produce extensions either you know from written by red hat or by the community for the most popular use cases uh, and the good thing about the extension is you know you write it like once and then everyone gets benefit and a, a well written extension will more or less completely hide the fact whether you end up with a native you know uh, image or a hotspot mm -hmm. let's say image um, so yeah, we, we would like to see more uptake from the community in that. Um, and yeah, and then uh, you know other typical things we expose in, in, in Quarkus is you know the dev modes. I think it's very nice. Uh, you get this very fast uh, um, iteration. Mm -hmm. um, server starting immediately you see the changes so yeah for the audience you only have to do maven quarkus colon dev and it runs right yeah and it's uh, the, the people faces when they first see that you know you change something refresh it there and it's java it's not javascript or anything but this is not right. the but this is not the other killer I, I expected something like this it's okay everyone tries to do that but what's really cool and this is not uh, uh is the your fat jars are not fat jars. This is I, I, what I did. I would wanted to immediately see, you know, what is what is the outcome of the build and what you what you are doing. You are creating a runner jar, and I say okay again. So uh, if if everything if I change, you know, one class as let's say a servlet, I will have to rebuild the whole the Quarkus and push you know twenty megs to the clouds, and then I say. I took a look at the size of the jar, and this is like 90k. So it's actually impossible to have, you know, 90k uh, everything in there. So I opened the jar, and there is a manifest. Look at the manifest, and it just points to libs. And in the lib folder, you had, I would say, I don't know, 40 different jars, and they are from 
from more or less Whitefly projects, which is very good because, you know, Whitefly is bulletproof, so there is no need to reinvent your own servlet engine or whatever. But the point is, what you can do right now is, you know, to put all the libs into base Docker container and just push your business logic, the jar, you know, to the clouds over and over again. And because uh, Docker optimizes the layers, I get exactly the same benefits what I got, you know, with my thin war approach where I push the server once and then 50 times a day I just push the thin war. So even this works as expected. So you, you didn't even try it, you know, to create an Uber jar or, or Fed jar. You created, you have to split from the beginning, which was impressive to me because everyone else tries to, you know, create uh, Uber jars or Fed jars and I never got the idea why they are doing this. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't offer any benefit to, you know, just rebundle and unbundle all the time. And, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So No? And, no. and it's completely opaque, you know, with, with Docker containers, with layering. It doesn't matter, yeah. It's, yeah. it's less efficient, so, yeah, sure. <laughs> and the next cool feature is, uh, you, you have to, these this are the really killer features. Um, if you use GraalVM on my machine, so we can do, you can do Maven clean install minus P native. And Quarkus will generate a native executable application. But this is no Mac or Windows version or Linux version. But the cool story is you are providing a Docker container, which is called something native, docker.native, I think. And uh, what this does is it will build a native image inside the container, which is portable. So then you get, you know, a tiny Docker container, which is based on Fedora and contains internally the uh, native image. And this is also genius because now you create, you know, the native image once and you can launch it in whatever environment you like. Right. Yeah. This yeah, is the no, killer I features. Mean, Everyone is excited about the dev mode. It's okay, dev mode. I never had a problem, you know, with redeployment times. But these are the small things which are genius in my eyes yeah yeah and i think we spend a lot of time thinking about how to do things and whenever we need to add something there's a very big discussion between, between the, the guys you know I, you know I'm, as a manager of the team i'm i'm very much humbled by the the brain power and the different skill set that people bring into the project from their own point of view, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, in Wildfly, you know, we, we were excellent, you know, framework writers, but we didn't have like Hibernate expertise. You know, that was a different team. So, so now it's all the teams are 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 together. There are people from all teams that, that contribute to the different ideas, and I think we need we're more careful introducing any any change because a project can easily get fat quickly you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> if you just add stuff without much thinking yeah now now another change we're doing is uh, you know we in Quarkus we want to offer both uh, imperative and reactive apis for the most common use cases but to truly to truly optimize this experience we are refactoring the core so that it's unified so imagine you have a netty layer and on top of it you have a vertex layer so there's vertex at the core and on top of it you have like undertow for example so all so the full stack you know uses the same base let's say abstractions 
and the different subsystems can communicate very efficiently uh, with each other. Uh, so we, you know, we are very careful to do it right, so it's slim and performant and, and seamless. Uh, yeah. So we will, you know, some things might take more time than we wanted, but we hope that the result will be, you know, better uh, in the long term. You know, most people don't don't see that, right? Mm -hmm. They just, you know, they just they don't care about this, but they will care when they see the, you know, performance. Mm -hmm. And 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 you know, people don't maybe realize, but with Vertex Core, we can gain advantage of the full, let's say, ecosystem of Vertex clients, all those reactive clients that are developed through the years. So in one regard, Quark is new, you know, all the build magic, but a lot of the stuff is, is very mature, actually. It's like projects have been out for, for years, and they're used and optimized and stuff, so... Yeah, um, you, what you can do, yeah. you can just go to the lib folder where, uh, you know, Quarkus creates and ls minus, minus al and you will see, you know, all the libraries and they are mostly known, well-known libraries from Whitefly. It's not like, you know, mm -hmm. complete reinvention. Yeah. 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 And uh, have you tried the Panache, the Panache API? I tried that and um, I like that, but this is a little bit out of scope of my commercial projects because usually this is JPA. And uh, so my clients would just would not migrate to Panache. But if we would start, you know, with a startup, this could be something different. We could try Panache. But the danger is here. Uh, it is not um, JPA compliant. So let's say if Quarkus dies, sure. which is, which is oh, of course, uh, you know, uh, unlikely, but it could happen, then you are stuck with Panache. And uh, so far, what I like in... in, um, in um, in Quarkus, it is as you said. Um, which, actually, a few weeks ago, just for fun, or just for fun, a client asked me. We did a proof of concept and we ported an older microservice, even you know, with legacy DB2 drivers, to Quarkus, mm -hmm. and it worked out of the box. So there, we were all amazed actually mm -hmm. that it works. So there, I would spend probably two hours. So it's not like you know, multi-day effort. It's just you know, we just migrated EGBs to CDI and this was not like, you know, huge effort. We did it uh, iteratively and then it, it just booted and it worked. And with uh, Panache is a little bit different, but uh, I, I like that. I like that. I'm a little bit careful, you know, not to, not don't leave the path of, you know, microprofile in Java because then you are stuck with Quarkus, which was never a good idea before. Yeah. But Panache so, uh, could become microprofile, you know, microprofile spec. I totally understand that, and it's just you know the intention is to try try stuff. If it makes sense, you know, we we push it to the standards. You know, you know, JPA was born out of Hibernate, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so so yeah, we we will definitely do that, and you know, personally, having worked on standards like almost all my professional career, like 20 years now, I know very well how difficult it can be. And in some cases, it feels as if, you know, you have to go to a, to a boxing match, right? Yeah. With your one hand tied behind your back mm -hmm. and have the guy on the other side just, you know, giving you punches and you can do, you cannot do anything with it, you know? 
So <laughs> I'm sure you get the idea, but with Quarkus, we will try to be, um, let's say, as much standard-based as it makes sense, mm -hmm. but at the same time, we will try to be more uh, innovative in some dimensions to try to push the standards uh, even further out. Yeah, because uh, what I did immediately, uh, I created a my own archetype called Quarky. It, it does nothing but, you know, it uses Quarkus and adds all the dependencies I need all the time. It's like all the small rise dependencies and scheduler and uh, ORM hibernate. So it looks for me, feels and looks like a Java E server. And um, this is important to me that uh, I can just, you know, not all of my clients have, you know, Quarkus or Red Hat. Some have Open Liberty. Lots of people are using Payara. So I cannot just go, you know, Quarkus full. But right now, what I like about that, I can use, you know, Quarky as almost drop in Quarkus, drop, uh, drop in replacement of Open Liberty or Payara. And uh, mm -hmm. I can still add more extensions like Panache if you would like to, you know, to experiment with it. So it's not like I'm stuck with something completely funky. Right. Yeah. And yeah, regarding okay. standards, yeah. in the back, yeah. uh, what uh, what my impression was, this is always the case with JCP. My impression was that most of the vendors are building the you know the uh, Hibernate was first, then JPA came. This was the story of uh, of JPA or MQ series were first, and then JMS happened, and uh, Oracle was first, and JDBC happened. It's not like someone tries you know in JCP innovate in the vacuum. It's more or less the developers like to code and, and then they write, you know, the spec afterwards. This was at least my impression. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, you, you need some successful implementations before standardizing. Otherwise, you do, I don't know, CMP? <laughs> yeah. EJB CMP, yeah. Yeah, and, and the interesting uh, story with CMP was at the same time at Sun, there was another problem, a, pr a project. It was called, I think, Javelin. And this was like, I think it was Javelin. It was like uh, very like uh, JDO, so it looked already like JPA, and for unknown reasons, the uh, CMP took off. So, um, but there were two projects at Sun. One was already very like uh, JPA, and the other one was uh, was CMP. So it was just you know the wrong approach was taken. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and and standards, you know, they're they're challenged now. The situation with Jakarta. Uh, my profile is doing better, uh, and we will keep pushing there for sure. Uh, but you know, t time time is of, is of essence, and we've lost lots of time in uh, yeah. In Java. Micro profile yeah. is perfect, and I mean Jakarta is stable enough, so it could be used as the base and micro profile as innovation, and then everyone should be happy. This would be my personal, you know, approach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A small thing, sure. what what uh, would be cool in Quarkus is. Uh, I write a lot of uh, command line tools actually with uh, with Java, and uh, it would be really nice if Quarkus could be used as command line tools. So I would you know pass you know command line parameters and just run CDI or whatever, and uh, just will have my own you know uh, native image which will launch whatever I like. Mm -hmm. Well, definitely, and uh, and. Another very interesting use case, similar to that, is uh, using Quarkus to write uh, operators, mm -hmm. you know, in Kubernetes. Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. And there, there was a first one written just uh, recently, uh, and and we really feel, you know, like 
whatever, 10 million programmers, Java programmers, now have a better chance to just carry their, you know, knowledge into this brave new cloud native world without having to relearn everything. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I'm very positive about, about this. Now, if if we missing some, you know, facility like uh, to write to help you write base CLIs or anything like that, we we would gladly accept, you know. <laughs> pull requests okay uh, there's, there's a lot of work you know there's a lot of work uh, you know but, uh, we would need help and community contributions are, are always uh, welcome basically yeah okay perfect so where people can find you um on the internet quarkus you and you know give me some coordinates Uris. Yeah, well um for me the easiest way is you know it's uh, twitter dandriadis Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm mostly tweeting about Quarkus, mm-hmm. Quarkus IO, the project. Uh, sometimes I blog, uh, blog blogspot again, andreadis.blogspot.com. Um, yeah, um, yeah. So online you'll find me. I I go to some conferences that are like not very far. <laughs> Uh, but I'm mostly, you know, spending my time with the, the team and trying to, you know, make this a successful project yeah. slash so product. Yeah. We are try to be more efficient with our time. By the way, I think we never met in person, right? I tell you what, we met one time in the Netherlands ah, where mm-hmm. there was an event, I don't know, at some company and we went there to present something but i think yeah we went java e5 there. and this was like the water tower or something right this was like was yeah it? yeah yeah that was it and i remember you told me ah oh, why you don't offer support for wildfly community project yeah it should yeah it should the the erp should be you know more synchronized with the whitefly exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah perfect and then i know All you right. yeah perfect so thank you and i would really like to invite you again in uh in few weeks or month yeah why not if we have news from quarkus you know what we're what the team is working on yeah i'll, I'll gladly yeah perfect so sure. greetings to the developers to emmanuel and all the others sure yeah okay thank you and bye and thanks bye